There are moments in your life that shine like stars in the darkness and light your path as you remember your past. Such memories are safely couched in the narrative of your youth, and from time to time, they can send a message to you from far, far away. One such moment occurred in the year 1977 when I was 15 years old. On a late May afternoon, I was perhaps the first person to see the movie Star Wars in the U.S. Well, maybe. It's a big claim, I know. But since I have no way of determining the absolute place of the first viewing of Lucas's masterpiece in the U.S., I believe it's at least possible that I was one of the first to witness the spectacle and the wonder that is Star Wars. I'd seen Lucas's American Graffiti twice at the Caribou Theater in 1973 when I was only 11. A callow Richard Dreyfus was desperately seeking the blonde in the Thunderbird all night long, roaming the California streets to the growling rasp of DJ Wolfman Jack's records, spinning endlessly while hot rods roared and fevers rose. For $2.50, I was no longer a young teen in a dark theater in northern Maine. No. I was sitting alongside a young Harrison Ford as we raced down Petaluma Boulevard against time. You see, what was true for me was also true for most of the people in my generation. Movies showed me a world I had only seen in the dark recess of a theater, and I wanted more. I grew up in a trailer in the middle of an old potato field. It was a nice trailer, and the potato field was well mowed with Chinese elms lining the road, but... It was essentially the truth of my life that I lived a long way from anywhere in a backwater that might as well have been on another planet. You had to drive for three and a half hours through nothing but trees to get something that even approximated a city. We had three channels on the TV, one of which was an amalgam of CBS, NBC, and ABC, the only one of its type in the country. The other two channels were an early PBS and CHSJ from Canada, and it was grainy. It was an era of sitcom Saturday nights when I met with my old friends Archie Bunker, Mary Tyler Moore, Hawkeye, Bob Newhart, and Carol Burnett. The glow of the Zenith television bathed our shag-rugged living room with the warmth of other cities and other lives, and I was a country boy temporarily transported to these places. And there were whole days when I wanted to do nothing more than watch television. I spent a lot of time with my dad, who owned a mobile home business across the street from the Lavertier store on the Axis Highway. Dad let me tag along with him, which relieved the boredom of hanging out in the country all day. I wasn't a hunter or a camper, so the prospect of being downtown all day was kind of exciting. Dad had a mailbox in the post office, and he'd send me in with his key, and I'd return with a pile of envelopes and mountains of junk mail and, oh, so delicious, magazines, which I poured over and devoured whenever I could get my hands on them. He subscribed to four, Popular Science, Popular Mechanics, Reader's Digest, and Time. It was an early summer day when I got the issue that portrayed a strange vehicle sitting in a desert scene and a young blonde man standing next to it, with a robot or two nearby. It was the issue that introduced Star Wars to the world, proclaiming it to be the year's best movie. Even now, I'm sitting in his car, window down with a cold glass bottle of Coca-Cola sitting between my legs, my mirrored sunglasses, reminiscent of Eric Estrada's from Chips, resting nimbly on the edge of my nose, and my face buried in the pages of an article that detailed a new thing called Star Wars. I did nothing but talk about it and think about it for days. I reread the article and burned the photos into my brain. 
I'd love science fiction from the time my father took us to 2001, A Space Odyssey, four times in the Prescott Cinema, 14 miles away, once during a blizzard. Dad's friend owned the theater, and while we watched the film, he sat in man's office and visited while my brother and I ventured into the future. I never understood the ending, or the beginning for that matter, but the middle part of that movie took me into space. No, really, I was in the Odyssey, running alongside Dave Bowman as he exercised. But this new film promised me much more than I could even imagine. I needed to see it. I required it. It became my purpose. I thought of little else for the rest of the summer. Of course, I had no real idea what lay in store for me and the millions of other pre-fans of that series, but I had an inkling, and that was enough. When I saw the Coming Soon posters in the cinemas just down the street, I marked it on my calendar, determined to be the first, or at least one of the first, to see that movie in my hometown. My mother's cousin, a man named Roger Paul, was the projectionist at the Caribou Cinemas. I knew him only slightly, but well enough to know that around the perimeter of his bedroom at my great-aunt Annie's house were detailed models of every movie monster that ever graced the silver screen. There was the Wolfman, the Thing from Another World, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Mummy, among others. His love of film was almost certainly as deep as my own, and I developed a simple plan. Putting on my best smile, even though I was a teenager and should have been over such fawning and begging, I asked my mother to speak with her cousin and see if there was even the slightest possibility that I could have my very own private viewing. Just the projectionists, Star Wars, and me. It was a long shot, I'll admit, but my mother knew how much I loved science fiction. And after all, even though I was all of 15, I was still her baby. As a boy, one of the earliest memories I had was being huddled under the Afghan. Well, we always called it the Afghan. Watching Star Trek with my family in the middle of a northern Maine winter. Except again, I was a member of the crew of the Enterprise, and I was going boldly where no man had gone before. And I'm not talking about the ladies' room. I grew up wanting to be Captain James T. Kirk. I had goals. My mother made the call, and Roger Paul, that wonderful man, agreed to give me one of the greatest gifts of my youth. I would watch Star Wars several hours before anyone else in my city. I would have the honor of knowing that I was one of the first initiates into the world of the Jedi. I hardly slept the night before, and I read and reread the Time Magazine article until the pages were dog-eared and thin. Even Christmas held no greater anticipation for me. I arrived at the empty theater a little after three in the afternoon and knocked on the door, putting my hand over my eyes as I tried to peer into the dark void of the lobby. In a moment, Roger Paul unlocked the door and let me in, looking both ways to ensure that no one saw us. I'm not supposed to do this, he explained. Don't tell anyone. I might get fired. Gee, thanks, Roger Paul, I replied. I never knew if I was supposed to call him Roger, Roger Paul, or maybe just Rog. That's okay, he said, giving me a considered look. You love the movies, don't you? Yeah, almost as much as you, I answered knowingly. Roger Paul was a lot older than me, and he was a wildly flamboyant man, better suited to the big city nightlife than the quiet little place we called home. He was as out of place as I would find myself to be. Even though many years separated us, we were blood, and we had a shared interest. No, a shared passion for the stories told on film in the dark, as we allowed our minds to suspend disbelief and journey to far places we could never really go. The movies were that far shore whose sands we could never actually touch. But we could dream, we could reach, we could pretend, for roughly two hours at a time, 
in Panavision. You want to watch it with me up in the booth? I could hardly contain my enthusiasm. Yeah, really? I'd never been in a projection booth before. Many times I'd glance back while sitting in the glorious dark at the little square of glass and the light diffracting as it forged its way through, throwing dreams on a white screen to urge us onward and make us forget our daily drudgeries. I had no idea what to expect. It wasn't much. It was a long, narrow room atop a high set of stairs, almost completely occupied by two massive projectors. He had already threaded the first two reels on each projector, and as one film reached its end, he watched for the two little dots to show up on the edge of the screen, and that was his cue to start the second projector and turn off the first one. He looked at me excitedly and asked, Ready? Ready, I replied. He flicked the switch, and I stood next to the little window and watched as the words appeared over a star field, and then the yellow rolling lines of text came into view, and when they were lost in the distance, the largest spaceship that I had ever seen began to roll its underside over me, and I was lost. I can't remember much, except that for the next two hours, the real world outside ceased to exist, and I was lost in an alternate reality. I'd never seen anything like this film, never had comprehended that such a simple story could have so much power and that so few characters could epitomize the meaning of heroism. Soon, I'd need to become a hero of my own narrative, and my rite of passage was on the horizon only two years away. I can't recall just how time stood still and caught me off guard, ready to fall into a maelstrom of TIE fighters, X-wings, banthas, droids, Wookiees, and Jedi Knights from the Old Republic. I do remember taking a moment and looking over at my second cousin, Roger Paul. He was looking through the other little window, as enthused and enraptured as I was. And though he was older, he was lost too. For a brief two hours, we shared a singular event. A simple thing to watch a film together, to cheat and see it first before most of the viewing public had a chance. Uh, but that small act of kindness and that little bit of rule-breaking gave us something special. We were both longing for another world, a chance to prove ourselves away from the old hometown, just like Luke Skywalker. We did not know what lay in store, but we were willing to take a leap of faith, if not in the Force, then in something greater than ourselves. We may not have been the first people in North America, other than the filmmakers, to see Star Wars. Movies came weeks later to our town, really long after they were released in the big cities, even though once in a while we got the big ones. We were definitely the first to see that movie in my neck of the woods, and that's something I'll always treasure. Roger Paul asked me how I liked it when it was all over. I had no words. I think I said something like, great, thanks. But whatever I said, it paled in comparison to what I felt. I left the theater, the bright sun of the late afternoon burning in my eyes, like the twin suns of Tatooine. Roger Paul left for some southern city soon afterward, never to return, and I had to find my own way two years later. My father wanted me to go into business with him, but I had other ideas. The universe was too large a place for me to stay in this farm country for long. There would be long distances to travel, but one day... We would leave this place and find the princess and ally ourselves with a wise teacher and a wise-cracking friend. And if we drove a Pinto instead of the Millennium Falcon, well, that was just because we lived in the real world, even though our hearts were in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>